The World Trade Organization's 13th Ministerial Conference is going on in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates through the 29th of February. The conference, which that meets every two years, is the supreme governing body of the World Trade Organization. So we wanted to talk a little bit to Raj Bala. He is Brennison Distinguished Professor at KU Law and can discuss the MC13 topics and talk a little bit about agricultural trade problems of market access as well. And so, Raj, I guess we'll start here. Um, the World Trade Organization's ministerial conference, uh, this, uh, if it happens every two years, uh, how did this actually get started? Did this start with the WTO or is this newer than that? Um, yes, indeed. And of course, thank you for having me. It's always a delight to chat with you. Yes, um, in the um, uh, foundational uh, treaty that establishes the world organization, the treaty that um, entered into force in 1995, um, there is a set up a uh, ministerial conference, um, and that meets every two years. Uh, and it consists basically of the trade ministers um, from all of the WTO members who, um, as of today, now number 166 uh, countries of the roughly 200 countries in the world. So, with the World Trade Organization, um, as you just said, uh, we're talking about three quarters or a little more than that of the countries in the world all coming together in the same place. Um, what, I guess, was the original goal of the WTO, and uh, do you feel like that's being met at this point? I mean, this is something that happened back in the 90s, which feels to me like five years ago, but I know it's been almost 30. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what's happened over the last several decades. Yeah, great question. So the purpose of the World Trade Organization um, is to ensure uh, freer and fairer uh, trade in goods and services um, and better conditions for intellectual property protection uh, and likewise better conditions for foreign direct investment. Um, and to um, do all of that, paying careful attention to the special needs of uh, poor countries, developing and least developed countries. Um, and uh, for the first uh, decade or um, maybe arguably two decades, uh, the WTO was pretty good um, in terms of being the focal point for fulfilling those um, goals via negotiations uh, among the WTO members and via um, dispute settlement when, when disputes arose, solving those disputes, uh, and through its own research and statistics and providing um, information for members. Um, but really, uh, in you know, roughly the last uh, 10 years or so, um, the WTO, in all of its functions uh, and in achieving its basic purpose, um, is really atrophied. Um, and uh, most countries, including China and the European Union uh, and the U.S., have really changed their attention um, away from the WTO to more uh, free trade agreements, FTAs like USMCA. Um, so uh, the real challenge for the WTO is can it um, resurrect itself? Uh, can it um, uh, 
achieve a rejuvenated spirit and 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 and, and get back the attention of the world uh, and um, uh, move back to its freer, fairer trade mission um, in a in a you know very conflict-ridden world where we really need a lot more freer, fairer trade. Okay, so the way, and maybe I'm misunderstanding this, and if I am, that's why you're here, is to help me to clear up my misunderstandings. But the way that the WTO worked in the past, I think at least, was that it helped with some of these um, narrower, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, product-based trade agreements or sector-based trade agreements. And the the overall free trade agreement uh, push where it's it's if it's from this country, it's okay no matter what it is. And maybe that's not – maybe that's oversimplifying a little bit, Raj. But uh, is um, – that seems a bit at cross-purposes with what the WTO at least originally did, if I understand it correctly. Well, so so the the reason we have some um, sector specific agreements, you're absolutely right, like on agriculture, on services, um, on intellectual property, on investment, um, is because those um, sectors were not covered under the old uh, general agreement and tariffs and trade system that the GATT, the old GATT treaty, which was very narrow. Uh, in some ways, um, and, and, and many sectors like ag and services were sort of left out, and there wasn't much on intellectual property. And, and the old gas system continued from 1947 until 1995. So when we got the WTO, we got these important um, sectoral agreements. Well, then, like you're suggesting, quite rightly, um, we've, we've seen, among others, two problems. One is these sectoral agreements have not been updated. So we have new um, problems, for example, in agriculture concerning subsidies, concerning public stockholding of grains for food security, um, concerning uh, uh, market access uh, in, 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 on some goods. And um, we also... Uh, that's, that's problem one, not updating these agreements to ta- cotton subsidies would be another example. We've not dealt with those issues. And then the second big problem is new sectors have really emerged since 1995 um, and come to be very important. And, and top of that list would be electronic commerce. And uh, we don't have an electronic commerce treaty. Uh, from the WTO. Countries have had to resort to uh, FTAs again. Um, and so one of the things to watch for in these Abu Dhabi, um, you know, MC13, Ministerial Commerce 13, is whether the WTO members can come to an agreement um, on, on e-commerce or whether they're going to just, again, kick the can down the road and develop a work program or continue a work program but not really um, resolve much of anything. And that, by the way, if you'd like to talk, that involves more issues of taxation. When it comes to these, um, I don't know how best to handle this uh, speaking, Raj, these bits and bytes markets. In other words, markets that technology itself facilitates. So uh, some of this intellectual property stuff and digital trade and e-commerce and all of that. Um it's hard when uh, you have the the proliferation of VPNs and so on that we've had now where people can say that they are from 
pretty much anywhere in the world when they're using the internet, um, that's got to be a thorny issue when it comes to making trade agreements regarding this stuff, I would think. Uh, leave alone some of the political ramifications. Yeah, uh, I mean, certainly, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, one of the challenges on um, electronic commerce is, is um, uh, data security uh, and data privacy um, and uh, attacks uh, and hacking um, and and whether or not we should be keeping our our data on local servers or whether we'll allow them in the cloud which can go anywhere um, and then there, there are issues as I mentioned earlier about taxation on a digital transmission let's say for example this very program let's say we transmit it um, uh, across uh, the 166 WTO members um, which we can easily do um, would any of them tax uh, that transmission and thus impede the market access of your program? Um, now, uh, the, the, the U.S. position is no, we should not allow um, uh, taxation of e-commerce and, and digital transmissions. But many um, poorer countries have said, you know, um, we've had this moratorium on taxation for going on a decade or so, uh, if not more. And, and we need tax revenue because we're poor. And you guys have all the big media companies. You've got Netflix. Uh, and so um, we want to start imposing the, the taxation. And, and I also love your question because it points out that um, uh, at stake here is, is, of course, the future of the WTO and whether it's going to be, in effect, a zombie international organization. But what's also at stake in that future is whether or not um, the interests of Kansas businesses, um, whether they're agriculture uh, or manufacturing or um, media and services uh, or e-commerce, however they're delivered physically or e-commerce, whether those business interests will be uh, attended to um, by um, the outcomes of this MC-13. And so I guess the the thing about uh, searching for relevance um, in a uh, in a world where you c you could theoretically move information and goods and so on with uh, fewer people involved and more technology involved um, that's that's where it really becomes difficult and you're exactly I mean the uh, the point of the WTO is to help uh, raise the countries that are not as well off up to uh, a level where they can do business with the rest of the world. Well, fundamentally on its face, I understand the provincial reasons and I personally like the idea of the internet being free everywhere, like literally free as far as money is concerned. But the problem that you have is that uh, that lots of those bits and bytes with value, whether you're talking about actual Bitcoin currency or dollars or whatever else you wanna say, um, if they can't be taxed on their way through a nation, uh, it really becomes hard to to get income into those countries that need it without it being straight up handouts, which doesn't necessarily uh, isn't necessarily as effective from a geopolitical perspective. Well, well, that's exactly right. I mean, there and it, it's it's complex as you're suggesting. I mean. The WTO is not a development organization. It is not the World Bank. Um, but it has a component to its mission 
um, of attending to needs of poor countries. Now, that can very much be in the interest of wealthier countries like the U.S. It's often poor countries that are the fastest growing in terms of um, population and in terms of consumption interest. So those are some of the um, uh, great markets for um, Kansas businesses. And we know historically that um, uh, we benefit from having strong, uh, wealthy trading partners. Um, so it's in, it's in our interest to see those, those countries move forward and, and upward in their income levels and their purchasing power. At the same time, we have, that's a long-term interest. At the same time, we have some shorter-term interests we need to attend to um, about our own businesses, um, whether it's protecting their intellectual property rights or making sure that they're not comp- competing on a completely unlevel playing field with subsidies. And one of the biggest uh, uh, agricultural subsidies now is that subsidizers is actually China. And then that brings us to a, you know, yet another point, as you mentioned with geopolitics. Um, we are competing for influence with Russia uh, and China uh, across much of the developing world in, 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 in sub-Saharan Africa, of course, in, in, in across the Asia-Pacific, the Indo-Pacific region, and in Latin America. So how to um, um, attend to the long and short-term uh, economic and geopolitical interests is a big challenge. The WTO, um, it's something that uh, I, I guess I would say the relevance of the World Trade Organization, it, it almost needs a balance in the um, power and influence side between some of the larger players in the world, China and India and the United States and Russia and so on. It needs that balance to be in it, it, sort of in, either in stasis or in gentle flux, I guess, would be the way I would put it, uh, not, not violent flux. Because if you have a situation where the world is not a safe place to trade, then the relevance of the WTO becomes a whole lot less, I would guess. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, and historically, um, the, um, after the Second World War, um, the great powers uh, agreed for peace and security, the international organization would be the United Nations. For reconstruction and development, including in Europe and beyond, the organization was the World Bank. For um, managing international monetary and foreign exchange commissions, the international organization that was set up was the IMF. And then finally, in 1995, after you know a long time with the GATT, uh, the old GATT, we got the trade organization, and that was the WTO. And these four institutions were to work in a complementary way to, um, for lack of a better word, um, uh, especially from the WTO perspective, make the world safe for free, fair trade. Um, and, and if there were conditions of violence, um, the UN and the Security Council um, would be the place to go to resolve them. If there were foreign exchange uh, manipulation problems, like we've seen with um, some countries, including allegedly China, the IMF would handle those. If there were issues um, of, of extreme poverty and needing infrastructure development, go to the World Bank. And then trade could flow um, with, all, with those three institutions working well together. Well, as exactly you said, all four institutions have been riddled with great power competition. 
that has replaced the great power collaboration that we saw at the end of the Second World War. So all of the institutions are really in crisis. It's not just um, the WTO. Um, and uh, um, there's, there's no easy fix other than to say, at the risk of sounding naive, um, we need much more good faith, uh, honest, uh, transparent interest in these institutions by the great powers, because they're the ones who are going to make them work uh, first and foremost. And we're not obviously seeing that. Well, but the other problem I guess I would have is you would think that some that the that the ultimate existential crisis that COVID-19 was for the planet would make everybody go, hey, shouldn't we work together? Uh, but it has not seemed to do that. In fact, it seemed to ramp up some of these uh, internecine battles, for want of a better way of putting it. Yeah, that's exactly right. We, we heard terms with COVID um, like vaccine nationalism. Um, and we also saw an acceleration of onshoring and friendshoring, um, personal protective equipment um, and active um, uh, pharmaceutical ingredients. And so the reaction um, to the pandemic and to other uh, major uh, stress events um, like South China Sea or Russia, Ukraine, um, has been, uh, no, not more interdependence, but rather less interdependence. Um, and, um, uh, and of course, now, as we all know, we are in a, 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 not only a presidential election year, but there are elections going around uh, in about 50 countries around the world, 5-0. And so getting countries to agree on um, some major structural changes and some major cultural reforms, if you will, uh, in these organizations is going to be different because no candidate is is going to um, survive um, if they are perceived as having agreed to a deal that is unfriendly to their workers or is um, uh, considered a bad trade deal for their businesses. So uh, that that is a, a factor to really to, to consider uh, with, with so many elections going on around the world. Again, like you said, 50 countries are having elections, and it seems as if in the last oh, decade or so there has been more of a uh, populist and uh, right-leaning uh, bent to – a lot of elections in the across the world, not only in the United States, but also um, in in other countries like Hungary and so on. And so the question then becomes: When you've got those folks who, again, speaking generally, I'm, I'm trying to make draw draw a large picture here, not a small one, uh, would be a little bit more isolationist in their general bent. Um, that 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 those folks might say, you know, the WTO isn't necessary anymore. Um, what, how would you respond to that? Well, um, Ambassador uh, former, and former U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer was asked this question. He was the ambassador in the USTR and the Trump administration. And, and I think he rightly said um, that uh, if we didn't have the WTO, we probably have to invent it anyway. Um, and that's because if you look at the the legal obligations, which benefit um, uh, many of our, our listeners, you know, Kansas um, consumers and producers, like most favored nation treatment, national treatment, um, non, uh, other non-discrimination principles, um, I, I, those are good uh, and, in, and in, in America's favor. Um, so 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do away with the WTO. The, the question is sort of what can we expect of it? And 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 the the problem one of the problems, uh, as you rightly say, is that um, uh, with the rising tide of populism uh, and maybe ca- causing that rising tide has been a sense that multilateral trade, the first best solution where the trading system encompasses you know, most of the world under the umbrella of the WTO treaties, it really hasn't worked for many poorer communities, whether they're in rich countries or poor countries, that, that inequality has been uh, worsened in many, there are many statistics about this, um, and that um, uh, individuals and corporations have have um, not only been enriched but enriched in historically skewed ways, as against um, you know the, the bottom ten or bottom twenty percent, and so that's given rise to a sense that well, these international organizations are are not serving the common good, um, and and uh, that is there, there's empirical evidence for that, right? Um, so uh, at some point. Um, leaders have to come together and figure out a way um, to, um, I won't even say inch ahead, but be bold um, and, and see how they can craft some new agreements that will sort of benefit, um, you know, a very large number of people, particularly the ones who are in a political position to sink deals, as we've seen from populist movements. Again, we've been talking to Raj Bala. He is the Bredesen Distinguished Professor of Law at the University of Kansas. Trade law is his specialty, and the World Trade Organization's 13th Ministerial Conference is going on right now in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. It is uh, when the WTO's 164 members get together and uh, try to figure out what's next for the World Trade Organization. And uh, Raj, there's so much about what happens here that I will need definitely some additional instruction on once we get past the actual conference. But the main thing for people to understand in Kansas is if you want to have the the commodities that we grow here and the the things that we manufacture here, particularly aircraft and things like that in, in the central part of the state, be able to go across the world with as few barriers and the least friction as possible. Uh, the World Trade Organization, at least that's that their goal is to help that happen. Uh, whether or not that's the actual accomplishment of this conference or any other is still remains to be seen. Well, that's exactly right. And in fact, now um, uh, there are two new members. So we're up to 166 members. Um, albeit small countries, Comoros and Timor-Leste. Um, but that's exactly the right. I mean, you know, philosophically, um, the, the, the question really for each of us to ask is, do you see more risk or do you see more opportunity from uh, freer trade, from trade liberalization? And, and those who see a greater risk because they feel that um, they've not benefited from open trade have been inclining more to... Um, protectionism and sometimes almost isolationism. But um, there's still a very substantial number of of consumers and, of course, businesses um, who see more opportunity um, in in open trade. And the question, the challenge for these these WTO trade ministers now uh, in Abu Dhabi is, can they make good on that um, hope 
that faith in, 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 in freer trade. Our thanks to Raj Bala, Brennison Distinguished Professor of Law, for joining us here on BW Radio.